Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, May 26th, and today I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about Cable Town, I mean Comcast. Dylan scoops that Comcast boss Brian Roberts came close to merging NBC Universal with the gaming company EA. Why exactly? And why did it fall through? And later on, Teddy Schleifer stops by to talk about Bay Area billionaire David Sachs, who is putting up some serious money to boost a challenger this year to California Governor Gavin Newsom. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Thursday, everybody. The weekend is almost here. And on that note, I am joined by Dylan Byers, who has lots of uh, expertise about the media world to share. But I'm I'm trying to will this segment into existence where Dylan shares with us a cocktail that he likes every week because Dylan knows a lot about cocktails. Last week, it was a Naked and Famous. What's cooking for Thursday night? This is not Friday night. It's Thursday night. I mean, something stiff, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, after a week, after a week like this, this has just sort of been an abysmal week in the news cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so something stiff, which I think just means a martini. What's your martini move? Way back in the day, I got George Will, the columnist at the Washington Post, famous conservative columnist, to mm-hmm. send me his martini recipe. And his martini recipe was four ounces of Plymouth gin, or sorry, not four ounces. <laughs> Four parts Plymouth gin to one (laughs) part vermouth and a twist of lemon, which I found notable because there was a story some years after I asked him this about the day he decided to change his registration and stop being a Republican. This was like in 2016 at the height of the Trump Mm -hmm. cruise stuff. And the New York Times article mentioned that he considered this carefully over martinis. And it occurred to me when life is hard and when you're having to make big, tough decisions a strong four to one martini is probably what you need. And so that is probably what I will <laughs> probably what I'll be having tonight. Well, no disrespect at all if you choose to do four ounces of, of gin in that, <laughs> that mat. For a Thursday, that might be a bit much. <laughs> well, for the non-cocktail inclined, I, I want to ask you about a story you wrote a few days ago based on some intel you picked up that Brian Roberts, head of Comcast's, thought about spinning off NBC Universal and trying to he tried to merge it with EA is that right that's right so and and not just thought about it but actually got so far and we're talking now within the span of recent weeks and months um got so far as to propose to the head of electronic arts let's spin off NBC Universal merge it with electronic arts and the Comcast, the Roberts family will continue to control it 
through a majority stake, hmm. but the CEO of EA would run it and with all sorts of implications for NBC Universal, which of course includes our good friends at NBC News and MSNBC and mm-hmm. CNBC and so on and so forth. These conversations went on for several weeks. There were term sheets, there were bankers, there were lawyers. And eventually, within the last month or so, the deal was scrapped due to disagreements over price, disagreements over the deal structure. But it tells you a lot about where Comcast is at right now and, and how it thinks about NBC Universal. Because Brian Roberts, like his father before him, famously acquisitive, a savvy businessman. And Comcast is in a position of relative strength. But in the media landscape, the wisdom among the executives and rivals and analysts who I talk to is that Brian Roberts has time and again missed out on some really big M&A opportunities. Disney went after Fox, the Fox Entertainment assets. Blockbuster deal announced today involving our parent company, Disney, spending more than $52 billion to buy a significant portion of 21st Century Fox. Disney CEO Bob Iger sealing the deal with Rupert Murdoch, who built the Fox global empire. Brian Roberts tried to intercept that and he failed. It was said that Brian Roberts wanted to acquire Warner Media, And while he wasn't looking, David Zaslav swept in and engineered a deal with AT&T and got control of Warner Media. As you saw this morning, we've announced our intent to unite Warner Media and Discovery to bring together their complementary strengths to create a new company with a solidified position in global direct-to-consumer. Microsoft earlier this year bought Activision, which was probably the most attractive gaming target out there if you are a big tech or media company looking to expand your footprint in gaming. Microsoft is going to be buying Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard shares have been halted with this news pending that's coming out on this. Time and time again, Brian Roberts was either not at the table for these deals or was at the table and failed to win those deals. Brian Roberts himself will say, his deputies will all say, we're in a position of strength. We don't need mergers and acquisitions. We're comfortable where we are. But nobody else agrees with that thesis. Everybody recognizes that you need scale. And if you look at where NBC Universal is, particularly in streaming, mm-hmm. they don't actually have a seat at the table. No one would say that Peacock is one of the great, really strong streaming services out there. Shut in- your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, so much so that like for one quarter, I think, or may- at least one quarter, they didn't even report subscriber growth because they were embarrassed by how little they had. And and now they're saying things like, you know, we see this as an add-on to other streaming services. It's, it doesn't need to be people's primary streaming service. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of waving the white flag there. And I think what Brian Roberts is trying to figure out is, okay, how do I make a move that will strengthen our entertainment portfolio? And there is really no faster growing or better place to be right now in that regard than game. And so I think that's why, especially after Microsoft got Activision, you see Brian Roberts going for EA. Fact of the matter is he couldn't land it. So maybe those two parties will come back to the table or maybe yet this will be yet another merger target that Brian Roberts fails to land. We've talked about before too, like the synergies between content and gaming, sports and gambling, like DraftKings, for example. Like if you work at NBC News, like you mentioned, and <laughs> you hear, oh, they're trying to bring us together with EA. 
you know, which has like Madden and FIFA and all those games. Those, those are really successful titles. Like, are you just like, what the fuck? Or like, <laughs> what are there actually like ways that those two content companies can come together? Well, it's hard, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, like just take news, for example, you've got the news business and there's no real way that your life might drastically change by virtue of the fact that the larger company now includes video games and is run by a video game CEO, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that doesn't necessarily need to touch on the news business. But over time, if the business is being thought about that way, where gaming is sort of part of the big identity of the company, and you're thinking about those sorts of growth businesses, over time, yeah, that could affect how important the news division is in the overall portfolio of an NBCUEA combined Mm -hmm. entity. It's a question of what does the company itself value? Now, right now, there are media companies and phone companies and tech companies that like having news in their entertainment portfolio because they feel it's prestige, they're proud of it. Like we said, it's a very lucrative business in in terms of linear. But as the business starts to shift more towards things like gaming, does news become as much of a priority? And I don't know if that's the case. There are obvious synergies that you can create between, say, your games and your sports rights, right? You could create entire new gaming franchises based off your sports rights, or you could leverage your games to improve your sports rights. There's mm-hmm. less opportunity to do that with news. No one is, is trying to really gamify the news or newsify gaming. And so you can see a world in which news becomes less of a priority in a combined NBCEA. We rewatched 30 Rock last year, and like that show was on while Comcast was acquiring NBC Universal. It became a joke in the show. Comcast was Cable Town, the company in Philadelphia that was acquiring <laughs> Jack Donaghy's uh, NBC, and he loved GE. But the same story always told. It's like the the concern was that they would the corporate bosses would come in and the bean counters and they would like cut precious shows that all the right. content minds loved. And that's just feels like whichever direction NBC Universal goes, I mean, that's just always going to be a concern, especially with linear becoming less valuable. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that corporate shakeups followed by executive turnover inevitably invite periods of instability and in some cases chaos. I mean, we are seeing that right now with CNN and the, the Discovery takeover is you have a period where like, yes, the overall discovery is proud to have CNN. And, and yes, they say that they're behind the brand and, and feel like it's a prestige play for them and it doesn't necessarily need to rate mm-hmm. well. But are there all sorts of changes going on at the network that are destabilizing for all of the people who work there? Absolutely. They're happening right now as we speak. In companies of thousands of people, those things don't get ironed out over the course of weeks. Sometimes those things take years to get ironed out and there are personnel changes and all sorts of things like that. So yes, any change of of that level, ownership change, executive change can be destabilizing for a media company. Well, this is a topic for another time, but I, you know, I will be fascinated to be a fly on the wall in a room where corporate bean counters look at television news, but they look at the like the difference between the number of people watching these shows and the amount that the executives and talent are getting paid. Like, there's just this huge disconnect between 
the supply and the demand in TV news that still hasn't been corrected over these many years. You know, you see news anchors getting paid multiple millions of dollars a year and 100,000 people in the demo are watching their shows. And that just strikes me as totally wacky. And there are days and nights now where on a channel like CNN, where not even 100,000 people in the demo are watching the shows. You really think about when the linear audience really gets down to whatever floor it's going to get down to, how much of a business are you going to have left if you can't command 100,000 people in the demo to watch your show? Uh, I agree with you. (laughs) We'll talk about that more next time. All right. right, Thanks, Dylan. Enjoy your martini tonight. (laughs) Thank you, sir. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what The Playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Are. Pancakes, I love pancakes. More than waffles, more than French toast. A couple of my favorites so far, the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites. I love egg bites. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. So sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Teddy Schleifer on his beat right now. Hey, thanks, Peter. One thing on my mind that I've been watching and reporting on over the last couple of days is in two weeks is election day here in California. It is the first primary in this state of the 2022 season. And there's an interesting tech figure who has been increasingly getting more and more political during the Biden era. And that guy's name is David Sachs. And David Sachs is playing in the June California elections in a pretty interesting way. So for folks who don't know who David Sachs is, he was one of the early executives at PayPal and became a part of the uh, Motley crew that is known as the PayPal Mafia. I guess the first entrepreneurial thing I did was PayPal. And the way that happened is, you know, I had about a six month conversation with Peter Thiel, who was the founder of the company. It was called Confinity back then. And over the course of this conversation, we, we raised the question, what if you could email money? You know, that sounds like a killer app. 
Right. Peter agreed, and I said, well, you know, I'll quit my job tomorrow, and if that's what the company's going to be about. Which in a lot of ways, honestly, sort of runs Silicon Valley today. It includes Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, Reid Hoffman, sort of the uh, 40 to 50-year-old celebrity CEOs and investors who make the world run, especially with regards to political investments. So Sachs has put $150,000 behind what is a quiet, last-minute effort to elect a guy named Michael Schellenberger in the California governor's race against Gavin Newsom. Michael, you are officially announcing your run. Why do you want to govern a state of 40 million people? So I'm running because I'm absolutely heartbroken by the humanitarian homeless disaster occurring on our streets. It's interesting to me for, for a number of reasons. One is who this guy is. Schellenberger is the author of, of, of a new provocative book called San Francisco. The subtitle is something like How Progressives Ruin Cities. So he's sort of like an anti-woke, anti-tech establishment author who's running in an independent run for governor. He's not a Democrat, not a Republican. And ordinarily, a guy like him honestly would have no shot of making the top two. But no Republicans are really running for governor in California, no credible Republicans, which has created an opening for someone who has a lot of outside money to make it into the top two with Gavin Newsom. And then, you know, in a tough year for Democrats, could a independent who is center left or center right, whatever you want to call Michael Schellenberger, could someone like that beat Gavin Newsom? Like, who knows? So Sachs is putting $150,000 behind Schellenberger. It's part of a $500,000 to a million dollar independent expenditure, end of the race, final two weeks. Could enough rich tech people get this guy into a runoff with Gavin Newsom, who they all hate, or who lots of kind of center-right and libertarian tech figures hate so much they tried to recall him last year in a recall that was thrashed by 25 points? Like, could that happen? Who knows? The, the other angle that interests me is just the rise of Sachs um, as, as a figure, and frankly, just the rise of this sort of, this, this backlash in tech to wokeism, to you know social justice politics, whatever you want to call it. And I, I've been writing a lot about that over the last month or so. You see it with Teal, but that's obvious. You're increasingly seeing it with other people, people like Larry Ellison, who is the you know, founder of Oracle Ellison, is backing many Republican politicians. You see it with Elon Musk. You see it with, with even with Jeff Bezos, who is not necessarily that political figure. He had a very kind of highly manicured, highly managed public image for, for a long time. And now he's just like popping off on a Friday night, making like lame jokes about the Biden disinformation board and, you know, weighing in on random political topics du jour. True, the White House is in a bit of a feud with Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. It all started with this tweet from President Biden, which he wrote that the wealthiest corporations should, quote, pay their fair share to bring down inflation. That prompted Bezos to weigh in, writing the president is conflating two separate issues and misleading the American people. There's sort of this backlash in tech to liberalism. And I think people like David Sachs, Michael Schellenberger, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they're all part of a trend here, which is that this place that has really been, I think, pigeonholed as a nirvana for liberalism, that's never really been true, and it's increasingly less true. And I think that California elections are going to be the beginning of sort of this backlash. The backlash is coming 
to California from Silicon Valley elites. And we're seeing that, I guess, round one or round two or round three, whatever this is, the next round is on June 7th, which is California's first election day. And if you're interested in, in reading the piece, you can head over to puck.news and look up the story called Recall Palooza. So check it out. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 